This is Chapter 106 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. Coming up, you'll be rethinking your next hotel stay after hearing from the authors of the thriller Red Hotel. We talked to author M.C. Fox about her debut spy novel featuring a fierce female protagonist. Plus, we talk about the role Google Street View played in creating the fictional Russian town in the new book from Lydia Fitzpatrick. Nobody wants to think about the worst-case scenario when they're booking their next vacation, and we all take it for granted that we'll be safe at the hotels we stay at. Well, you might change your mind after reading Red Hotel, the new international spy thriller from Gary Grossman and former Marriott executive Ed Fuller. They spoke with our Pat Farnack about their eye-opening new novel. Although Red Hotel is supposed to be fiction, it does tell the story of just how dangerous our world is. Did anything in particular inspire the story? Well, I'll take the blame from Gary. Um, This dealt with a lot of uh, my activities as president of Marriott International over a 22-year period. So Dan Riley, the hero, is you, Ed? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm afraid that's the guy that it is, yes. Uh, however, you must you said initially, it is fiction, so we have heightened the adventure and really made it a much more exciting book through Gary's skills. Well, Gary, how did you and Ed find each other? Well, that's a great story, and it's... Um, it is thanks to um, the fact that I have two dogs and we we're out walking them one night and I bumped into a neighbor here in Los Angeles who actually I did work with in New York for a time. And he's been a New York writer for Vanity Fair and papers back in New York uh, magazines over the years, Bruce Fierstein. Ah. And Bruce and I are, are friends and neighbors. Um, Bruce wrote the first three Pierce Brosnan uh, movies, the uh, the uh, James Bond movies. Mm-hmm. And he said, I have a guy that I want you to meet, Gary. And he told me his name is Ed Fuller, former president of the Marriott International. And he said, you have to meet him because he's interested in having uh, someone work with him, co-writing a book. So I thought, well, what do I have in common with the former president of Marriott International? And Bruce said, meet him. You know what I do. I write James Bond movies. I live in this world. Ed's the real deal. You have to meet him. Well, it took me 30 seconds, really, to recognize as Ed started talking about that um, he was as much in the anti-terrorism business as the hotel business. Uh, Hotels were blown up in uh, Jakarta, Ritz and Marriott Hotels. And as he can talk about, he had to get teams out uh, away from kidnappers around the globe, um, Egypt and Cairo with the fall of Mubarak. Ed's the real deal. And you don't come across somebody who lived it and worked it and knows the importance of safety uh, any any better than Ed Fuller. It was, it's been a great collaboration for but, Red Hotel. But I, I have to tell you guys, although I jo- enjoyed Red Hotel tremendously, uh, I'll never look at staying in a hotel the same way again. And maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Hopefully it helps. And uh, I trust you're not on the 33rd floor of your next stay in a hotel. Yeah. Uh, are hotels uh, targets the way they are portrayed in your book, Red Hotel? They they have been, and they are less today because of the precautions that we developed over the last, oh, 10, 15 years of my career. 
I do believe that they're much safer than they have been, but we've had at least two incidents in the recent times of hotels being attacked in Africa, and that's been in the last four weeks that Gary and I have been promoting the book. Did did uh, Was there a particular incident that may have inspired Red Hotel before Nairobi and... Mumbai was a tremendously important wake-up call for, I think, the industry, as Ed can talk about. But probably, uh, I would say, the Jakarta attacks, uh, Ed, would that be correct? Yes. Uh, we have been dealt with attacks in Santiago, Chile, in uh, Pakistan, in Indonesia, and in India. And... Uh, each of them had their own signature, which is what we talk about and depict in the story, though we don't specifically speak to uh, the bombing in the first chapter being uh, any one of those, but certainly uh, it is a wake-up call and was a wake-up call during the period in time that those incidents occurred. So tell us the story. Uh, how did uh, it come to be Red Hotel? Well, Red Hotel's based on the actual uh, color code system that Ed and his team at Marriott developed in terms of uh, assessing threats to hotels, um, Red being the highest level uh, threat level and the most protection that goes into a hotel and the kinds of uh, visible um protections and defenses that somebody meaning to do a harm will see, well, maybe this hotel or this this soft target is just too hard to penetrate. Why don't we go to someplace more easy uh, that could be an easier target to hit? And that weaves its way through Red Hotel, which is an international thriller. It's a spy thriller. It's a mystery. It's a it's a it's a good page turning thriller. and, and it's globe hopping because the business that Ed worked in was globe hopping. So there's so much that's real in Red Hotel woven through what we hope is um, a really good international page turner as well. Ed, Dan Riley, our hero, uh, what precautions does he in the book uh, put into effect at Red Hotel? Well, in the book, you're focused on uh several steps, but the first step is obviously the amount of security staff. The second step is focused on the equipment you have to go through uh, to be access the hotel. And the third step and fourth step are really what makes it red. One is that the use of dogs to ensure that nothing gets by that has any high-risk element to it. Mm -hmm. And the last step being you actually mount a team in the hotel that is not observing what's in the hotel. They're observing what's going on outside the hotel to try to pick up anyone that is assessing the hotel for possible incident. Terrorism has, it seems to be getting more prevalent, more random, and more cruel. Um, Is it enough to keep us safe? And and I wonder if people will ever travel again without thinking about it, but maybe that's a good thing. 
it is essential that just people are conscious of what's going on around them, whether it's as a result of terrorism or just an incident that may be happening, such as we just had in Paris. You've got to be conscious of your surroundings. Hopefully the book talks to that. Russia figures in this uh, tremendous story that the two of you tell. And uh, a leader with, certainly with elements of Putin about him, plays a role in our story. Uh, Did Russian meddling or anything that Putin has done uh, inspire you to include him in your story? Well, honestly, uh, Putin, since the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, has wanted to rebuild particularly the satellite block nations that were lost at the end of the Cold War, uh, that went to the West, that many of them joined NATO. And he felt that the collapse of the Soviet Union was the biggest mistake that uh, anyone had ever made in Russian history. Uh, he's also been quoted as saying that he could take virtually any of the capitals of those former Soviet bloc nations in in two weeks, uh, and then it was corrected to, no, he could probably take them in two days. Well, in Georgia and Crimea, he's already shown that he's interested, want, wants to, and has moved against nations. And with that setting, we thought, uh, as an underlying plot, there's got to be something in that that uh, helps set up uh, hotels as targets and Dan Riley's character uh, to travel around the globe to put the pieces together. And in that regard, it is based on not what we think is just fiction, but we know is in this man's head and his reality, though he's called by a different name in Red Hotel. Publishers thought, and we agreed, let's not just be that on the nose with the name of the character. But people will certainly recognize um, the the intent of Vladimir Putin uh, in the character of the Russian president in Red Hotel. Anything you want to add before we conclude? Well, I'll just like to say, as Ed has taught me, if you see something, say something. It's the best advice traveling or being in your hometown or local at a at a mall on transportation in a hotel, um, and Ed, you've taught me that. But I know you've got other other quick tips for people. Yes, please, Ed. Well, you heard me allude to the height of a hotel. Uh, I generally try to stay below nine stories, though big picturesque hotels are. Obviously, what people want to go to and see around them. And uh, so it's when you are in a danger zone, you really need to be conscious of the elevation. Going back to the point Gary just made, you need to consciously be aware of things that are going on around you. And that doesn't mean just for terrorism. It means just looking out and being smart about the situation that you're walking into if it's something that is unique and uncommon. That's even more so today uh, with using Uber and some of these other services. You just cannot take things for granted when you travel anywhere in the world. And uh, there are many other things that uh, when you're going internationally, you need to be aware of, and the State Department does an exceptionally good job 
uh, putting out information on travel throughout the world. And if you're going to another country that is not the usual UK and and Australia, Mm -hmm. I recommend looking at the State Department's briefing on various countries before you leave. Would you say it's safer in a tour group than it is uh, traveling uh, in a couple, you know, or a small, small family group? No, I'm, I would not say that today. If you remember, there were several incidents in Egypt and other locations where tour groups have been attacked. I think uh, when you ask what's safer, uh, I don't think the size of the group makes it that much different. But quite frankly, again, it, it, it deals with your experience traveling. If you haven't traveled internationally or in a country which is uh, very much an emerging area, the tour group might be the right answer. If you're a pretty experienced traveler, I think just two is fine. You would stay out of certain countries, though, Ed, even though you're a traveler, and you, Gary? Oh, absolutely. Um, I do look up the State Department uh, advisories, um, certainly for Red Hotel. Ed been to these places around the globe, and I have uh, the comfort of the computer right in front of me. (laughs) But Ed, I I know that how many over the years, how many countries? 120? Um, um, 120. We were operating in 73 when I retired. But to your to your question, um, the business traveler has to go to these countries, yeah. and today uh, that is what you want is the assurance of the hotel company in these countries that they have the procedures in place, and most large companies that are bringing their people into these areas go out and actually assess the hotels before they will endorse the hotel for their travelers to stay. And that's why these levels of security are so important, because the companies want to be assured that their customers are in the safest hotels. Well, it's been fascinating talking to you, too. Thank you so much uh, for uh, your work and for joining me this morning. It reminds me of this interview of, like, one more drink. One more drink. (laughs) But thanks a lot. Okay, thank you, and it's been a pleasure. We've been talking with Gary Grossman and Ed Fuller and their latest book, Red Hotel. Thank you. There's no doubt that current headlines about Russian meddling and interference influenced the debut novel from M.C. Fox. In Countdown America, we're introduced to CIA agent Isabella Bendel, who has to battle assassination attempts, the kidnapping of her mom and kids, and a mole in the CIA, all while she attempts to thwart an imminent cyber attack against the United States. I recently spoke with M.C. about the plot she cooked up. This plot against America is Russian-based. What is it about Russia and everything that's been going on with Russia that that drew you to make them the the villain, I guess, in the story? Years ago, I'd heard about Russia's attacks against countries of the former Soviet Republic. Uh, more recently, the moles found in the United States, the hacking of our elections reported other political meddling in several other countries. Um, And I thought it would really make a very compelling story. 
And you've also been always drawn to tales of espionage, right? Yes, I, I've very much been fascinated by the spy world. Why was it important for your main character, uh, main character to be a single mom? That gave her some vulnerability uh, to me. Um, I, I wanted to have a strong female lead, but also for her to be vulnerable. And I think it kind of sends a message that you can be vulnerable, but still succeed. And still be kind of kick-ass, too, because... Yeah, badass, totally. (laughs) You've cooked up a really scary cyber threat scenario in your book. Was this Mm -hmm. purely your imagination, or is it somehow based in truth? Uh, It is my imagination. I mean, I certainly hope that something like that could never (laughs) happen. Um, But it really... You know, when I started hearing about all these things, it really led me and and not just Russia, um, but, you know, like all of the cyber hacks, cyber bullying, cyber trolling, um, you know, it really made me think, you know, these are potentially devastating situations. And what if someone were able to surpass um, and succeed in destroying America. And in my mind, Russia is not our ally. <laughs> I have to tell you, after reading your book, I started thinking about keeping more cash at home. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you want readers to take away? Um, I want readers to, to take away first uh, that cyber terrorism is a real threat and to just take all the precautions out there. Um, and, you know, if you feel like you're doing enough, look at it again and maybe think about if you need to do a little more. Because often, more often than not, especially in areas that we really don't know, you know, we think we're okay, you know. Um, and uh, it always helps to just double check that. And, and two, you know, if you're single or vulnerable, uh, you know, know that you can do it. You know, it's funny that you say that, you know, I guess we in this day and age, we live all most of our lives online and nobody really stops to think how much of us is out there. Exactly. And what would happen if if something were to come along and either threaten that or destroy it? That's kind of why I chose this avenue of is there a threat out there that is potentially so bad that it can't be stopped? I hope that Russia doesn't read your book. (laughs) We'll we'll always be five steps ahead of them. I hope for our (laughs) sakes we are. So can we look forward to more thrillers featuring Isabella? Uh, Potentially. Uh, I I do have thoughts about doing a second book. Um, And some of my other ideas are in various other genres, some mystery, detective. uh, So potentially, yes. It sounds like you're going to be busy regardless. Yes. Well, the new book that we've been talking about is Countdown America. MC Fox, thank you for stopping by and talking to us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. In the new novel, Lights All Night Long, we get to experience a different side of Russia and the people who call it home. Author Lydia Fitzpatrick tells me it's important to remember that there are a lot of ordinary Russians who are very far from the intrigues of the Kremlin. So Lights All Night Long is the story of two Russian brothers, uh, Ilya, who is a gifted 
a student, and he is tapped for an exchange program that will bring him to Louisiana for a year of high school. Uh, and his brother, Vladimir, who is magnetic but, uh, but very different from Ilya, he's drawn to trouble. Um, and as Ilya prepares for this exchange program, Vladimir is drawn into ever deeper trouble. And when Ilya arrives in America, Vladimir is imprisoned for a series of crimes in their hometown. Uh, and Ilya is convinced of Vladimir's innocence and along with the help of his host sister, Sadie, sets out to prove it. Um, and it's really, you know, it's really the story of these two brothers and the devotion between them and the sacrifices that they're willing to make for one another. I loved experiencing Ilya's first encounters with the excesses of the U.S. through his eyes. For example, he's amazed by the fact that we have grocery stores with no lines, that people have swimming pools with lights. And it it would also, there's this other level, there is all this wonder, and he's not even in the most glitziest of U.S. cities. He's in rural Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think um, it it was really interesting to me to be able to write about our culture and our world from an outside perspective and sort of look at some of these things that we take for granted um, with, with fresh eyes. And why Russia? So my mom is a Russian historian, uh, and she lived and studied in Russia during the Cold War. And when I was growing up, she was writing a nonfiction book about commerce in Russia. And so Russia was a presence in my house in a way I think, you know, it wasn't for most kids of the 80s. It was a place that my mom loved and seemed to, um, it seemed to occupy a lot of her attention. And so I, I sort of, um, I sort of caught the bug. You know, I became really interested in Russia also. And then when I was eight or nine, we hosted two Russian students, uh, two little girls, one of whom was six. And uh, she was a brilliant pianist. I remember her her stay with us culminated in this duet that she performed with Rostropovich at the Kennedy Center. Um, and I was in awe of her, uh, you know, of the bravery that it took to to perform in front of all of these people, but also uh, that it took for her to come halfway around the world to stay with us and to be away from home and family. Um, and, you know, I think that the idea that opportunity or adventure might exist in opposition to, you know, the devotion we have to to the people and places that have raised us really stuck with me and, and found its way into Ilya's character and his story. And where did the inspiration for the darker side of your story and the mystery to your story come from? You know, I set out to write a mystery. I um, I grew up listening to mysteries with my mom. We would uh, I had a long ride to and from school, and so we would listen to all sorts of mysteries: Agatha Christie, Mary Higgins, Clark, Sue Grafton. So I knew that uh, that I wanted to write a mystery, not only because I love them, but because I think that in writing my first novel, it felt really comforting to um, to be able to rely on those sort of familiar plot movements that mysteries have um, to sort of uh, restrict the novel in that way uh, felt felt like uh, one way in which I could I could sort of limit its scope um, and that was that was quite comforting with the first novel and uh, and yeah I think you know once I I delved into the murder mystery the the exciting thing about the book for me was the way the the mystery between the brothers almost seemed to um, to grow bigger than the murder mystery itself and and you know the, the mystery of Vladimir's love for Ilya and um, and the lengths that he is willing to go to um, to support and protect his brother. Tell me about the role that Google Street View played in capturing the <laughs> setting of your story. 
Yeah, so, you know, I, I visited Russia in the mid-90s, uh, and then I went again on a research trip in 2008, and those are the dates that um, that bookend Ilya's time in Russia. Um, but, uh, but, you know, when I couldn't be there, I, I found the Google Street View function uh, really, really useful. So I used a, a city in Russia's northwest called Vorkuta as an inspiration um, for the layout of my fictional town, Berlozhniki. And um, at some point, I think about a year and a half into the drafting of the novel, I was looking at the map of Vorkuta and, you know, seeing the distance of the refinery from, from, the town, from the city center and, you know, street names and just looking at it for inspiration. And I clicked on a street and all of a sudden, you know, it felt like I had, I had been transported there. Um, and of course, it was, it was just that the Street View function had arrived in this city. Um, but it was amazing to me how many details uh, I could discover through Street View. You know, the, the graffiti on buildings, um, what's for sale in the grocery stores, what sort of cars people are driving, um, what the strollers look like, what people are wearing. And, you know, of course, the the photos on Google Street View are, are time-stamped, and um, this this particular series of photos was taken in June, but there was snow in the street. Um, so there were a lot of details that that I that I pulled from Google Street View um, that really you know became images that that found their way into the book. You know, you're talking about that. I think of the one scene in the book where we find out that a certain character has rebuilt the entire town in miniature. Yeah. And, and I think of that, that's like what Google Street View looks like. Yeah, yeah, it, it does, you know. And, of course, there's this sort of eerie feel to it because you're not getting any of the other sensory experiences of being in a place. So it feels a bit like you're you're on a set almost. But, um, but no, you know, I was really amazed at, at how – how helpful it was in in feeling like I could be transported there, especially because I was writing the bulk of the novel in San Francisco when, when I was living in San Francisco and L.A., two places that, that you know, could not be more different from my setting. Um, so it, it was really useful. So I know your title uh, evokes the lights of an oil refinery. And for people who have never experienced it, what is it like to have this this place with these lights that never shut off? Well, you know, I think there's something very eerie, but also really beautiful um, about about refineries at night. Um, I have spent a lot of time in Louisiana and driving through Louisiana, where you know the the America storyline takes place, and um, there's just something about it. You know, there's there's this line in the book about how it sort of trips this primal circuit, and it, it there really, for me at least, is something about a refinery that um, that it it tugs at my heartstrings. I mean, it, it makes you feel like um, there's this sense of sort of sort of uh, hope, but also eeriness. And I, I wanted, you know, to to use the images of the lights of the refinery as um, as a as a source of um, of hope, a symbol of hope for for Ilya. You know, I think that especially in these um, industrial towns in Russia, in the wake of perestroika, there was a sense that, that, you know, at long last, these natural resources might actually mean, mean wealth for these inhabitants. And um, in a lot of instances, that hope was a mirage. So the lights of, of the refinery, you know, sort of work both as, both as a mirage and a symbol of hope in the novel. There's a point in your story that 
the particular passage that made me smile. I know the the book is set in the the early 2000s, and it's when Ilya is scouring the newspapers and the TV news for new, word of his brother, what may have happened to him. And yeah. you write that Russia did not feature in the American news nearly as much as America featured in Russian news. And all I can think about is what a difference a decade makes. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, you know, I think... Uh, it's it's not a surprise, I guess, that Russia is is back in our in our um, in our news circuit. I think it's it's we had a little respite for for a moment there, but um, but yeah, you know, people ask me if I had if I intended for the book to come out at this moment in time when when Russia is you know featuring so heavily in our in our consciousness, and um, you know, I think Russia has always has always had had a place in our consciousness, and um, there was there was just a momentary break there um, when Ilya arrived in America and, and, you know, now it's back. And what I think, too, is what your book accomplishes, um, as opposed to all the other books I've read where Russian is this evil, villainous place, is you really humanize the people of Russia. Yeah, you know, I think um, it's important to me, especially because Russia is, um, is, becoming a big part of the news cycle again, it's important to me to remember that, uh, you know, there are a lot of ordinary Russians who are very far from the Kremlin and the intrigues of the Kremlin and um, to make sure that we don't find ourselves sinking into monolithic thinking, um, you know, that that does not, that does, that does not serve us well and that there, um, of course, are a lot of varying perspectives in Russia towards America and towards Putin and the Kremlin. So why don't you tell us what you're working on next? So I'm working on a second novel. I uh, was was fortunate to um, sell two books together, uh, and I actually sent out a screenplay as the outline for the second novel. I uh, I love to write interiority and exposition, so I wrote a screenplay as a way to to um, you know just work on dialogue and forward plot momentum, and then I really liked the end result. So. Uh, I sent it out, and I'm really excited because I actually did not have an outline for Lights All Night Long as I wrote it. Um, and so the drafting process with book number two is moving along a lot more quickly. Well, I look forward to reading that. The book we can read now is Lights All Night Long. Lydia Fitzpatrick, thank you for taking some time and talking to us about it. Thank you so much for having me. And that's our show this week. Next time, a 9-11-inspired thriller that's set in modern-day Paris. Until then, find us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books, and don't forget to subscribe and tell all your friends about us. I'm Lisa Chunkovic.